0: So we are in Joshua chapter three, and as Daddy said, um, we are um, so close to uh, where we're wanting to get to. If you're we're one of the um, people there in the tribe of Israel, uh, you have been anticipating this season for a very, very long time. Now, um, I won't uh, do this in the interest of time, but you know, if you if you think back to maybe something that you've really had to wait for something that you had to just look forward to, that you knew was going to be great when that day came, uh, and multiply that by, you know, several hundred years, uh, then you can just have a taste of what this group of people uh, was experiencing. So um, last week, as Daddy said, we're in uh, Joshua uh, chapter 2, and... um, if you'll remember, I heard the story of uh, uh, Rahab, and um, there were a couple of spies, of course, that had been sent to scope out the land of Jericho, and, um, and Rahab was there and gave them some important information there, and her assessment of the city was that we are scared. We know that God has done great things for you. We know God has given you this land. And um, she was so convinced of that that she, ba- she had her own profession of faith there and asked to be spared. And if we look at the last verse of Joshua chapter 2, uh, we get to hear the report of the spies. Uh, verse 24, and it says, And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. And... Um, uh, so they were they were feeling pretty good. Uh, all of God's actions up until this point had been uh, recognized, and and uh, they felt very confident. Um, which was, of course, was a different report than the original twelve spies that had scoped it out forty years before. <laughs> I guess maybe Joshua learned his lesson. If you just send two, you know, just send two, um, not twelve. In any event, chapter three. So we're gonna. Uh, Go through this story and um, then break it down and, and uh, see what it has to say to us. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the and lodged there before they passed over. So they had been um, in this uh, town uh, or village, and, um, and uh, now they're going to go to the edge of the Jordan. They're gonna, they, so they had to travel uh, probably three or four miles uh, to get to the edge of the, of the river. In verse 2, it says, At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it about 2,000 cubits in length, That's about uh, six-tenths of a mile, uh, a little over half a mile. Uh, Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. It's Christmas Eve. It is going to happen. And Joshua said to the priest, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Now we have an aside. Um, The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites, when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the temple. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark dipped in the brink of the water, a little detail here, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. So it it was a big river at this moment. Verse 16, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away At Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down from the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over Jordan." This story really is uh, uh, the full story. is going to take us all the way through chapter five, but there's just too much content to, to really do it justice all in one uh, sitting. So we're going to just focus on chapter three today. Um, so, what are the elements of this story? The group has been camped at Shittim, and is going to they're going to move to get close to the river. Then. At the end of three days, or there are three days, the officer spread the word about how this is going to go down. Then God speaks directly to Joshua and says, I'm going to exalt you so that everybody's going to know that my hand's on you, that they can trust you, that you are their leader, that I am with Moses. God's endorsement right there. Then... Priests take up the ark, they parade in front of the people, once it gets 2,000 cubits away, which is a long way, really, (laughs) you know, um, then they start to follow, and they, they go in on dry land, the water is heaped up on one side, it's empty and dry on the other side, and they pass by the ark, and they go on across to dry land. And, of course, this would have been a really big contingent. I don't know how long it would have taken to cross over. Uh, maybe they could have all gotten across in a day. Maybe it took more than a day. I, I'm not really sure uh, that, I, that I read that. And then they get to the other side. So looking at this story, um, those of you that are, are, are um just even casually paying attention, of course, will immediately recognize the huge parallels between this crossing and the crossing of the Red Sea that Moses took the people over. And that's worth uh, spending a little time over. Um, You know, God's redemptive plan started um, in Egypt. And as all the nation was leaving Israel and they all gathered to the edge of the Red Sea... Then it became apparent that Pharaoh had hung after him hard, horses and chariots ablazing. And um and as a group, they crossed over the Red Sea, and that was really, you could perhaps argue, when their slavery finally ended. God's promise back to Moses was two things. One is I'm going to take you out of slavery. And two, I'm going to take you into the promised land. Uh, this is uh, Exodus 6. six. Um, as as um, God tells Moses what to say, he says, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you without stretch to arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and i will be your god and you shall know that i am the lord your god and go on down to verse 8 and i will bring you into the land that i swore to give abraham to isaac and to jacob i will give it to you for possession i am the lord as daddy said they were waiting on the land they weren't slaves anymore but they they hadn't had this other so we have this these two crossings that are uh, the bookends so to speak one signified leaving slavery and one is going to signify uh, their possession of the land. The other thing that um, uh, we'll see there, in, in addition to um, the two crossings, um, I would argue that you could, there are some parallels here with the, the presence of God. In this story, and we'll see it on into chapter 4, what was it, that signified the presence of God among the people? The it was the ark. What was it that signifies the presence of God to the people at the crossing of the Red Sea? Remember? Is the, staff? the staff is what got him across what else? Of God. The pillar of fire and the, the pillar of cloud were there. The presence of God. And I think that's uh, significant as well. And we'll come back to that. Uh, but in both cases, we have an indication that God is here. God is with us. He is among us. And I think that's significant. I'm going to try... Um, I'm sure Daddy has already alluded to the fact that um, uh, Joshua and Jesus um, are very tightly related. Um, Many people talk about the man Joshua as being what's called a type of Christ, not meaning that he is Christ, but but there are so many things that basically prefigure what Christ will do. If you are writing fiction, Uh, They would call this maybe some foreshadowing, right? I'm sure you studied that, right? Uh, Some foreshadowing. Uh, There are a lot of things that you can see in the life of Joshua that you will also see in the life of Christ. And I think sometimes, you know, we just got through with Mark, and Jesus is just integral to everything we're doing. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in the Old Testament, I think there's an extra um, challenge uh, to say, okay, where's Jesus in this story, right? Because really we know from, as Daddy taught right after Easter, Jesus was able to look at the scriptures and tell everything about himself from the scriptures. I'm guessing he probably touched on Joshua. He said, you know, when Joshua did this, well, compare that to what I did. So, so we're going to try to do that. You know, there was the old, um, the old game, I don't know if they still have this in the Sunday comics, where you say, well, where's Waldo? You know he's in there somewhere. And you just got to find him, and uh, so we're going to we're going to play. Where's Jesus? And um, I hope to be able to do that uh, with the lessons. So, so where's Jesus in this? And I would submit that um, that nice parallel here. So think about this. So Moses was the predecessor of Joshua, and then Joshua is just getting started into his ministry. You might say, and then. God has this particular event where he says, I'm going to put my mark on you. I'm going to exalt you. Right there, and what was going to to be the indication of God's anointing, you might say? It would be right there in the middle of the Jordan River when everybody was passing through on dry land. Well, who was the predecessor of Jesus? John the Baptist. Guess where most people think he was doing his teaching? It says in the wilderness. Tradition says that that was on the east side of the Jordan, probably within a few miles of Shittim, probably very close to where they were crossing over. In fact, a lot of people have made good archaeological guesses that where John the Baptist was doing his baptizing was probably not far, perhaps even the same place where those priests stood when they crossed over. So here we have Jesus also being anointed by God, recognized, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, right there in the middle of Jordan, and what's he going to do with his people? He started the work right then, of getting us all to the promised land. That's where he started his work. So just as, if you, just as you've got these two crossings, we've got, in effect, two baptisms. You know, and you could even say this entire nation went through the water and came out the other side, just as Jesus did, just as we do when we follow him in that. And um, so I think that's a great story, um, a, a great parallel there um, that uh, many writers have, have recognized uh, and uh, I've always thought that was good and I thought it was appropriate to uh, to mention so um, so what does this mean to us um, I think the, there are several big themes one of the themes that we'll see throughout this whole book is the, the one that God keeps his promises and um, we saw in in Exodus there, you know, I told it to Abraham, I told it to Isaac, and so on. He told it to Moses, and now he's been telling it, and finally it's going to happen. Um, there was some delay there; some of it was self-inflicted delay, of course, but God keeps His promises. I think that's always worth remembering. I think the other thing is the point that. God takes the initiative to be present with us. God takes the initiative to be present with us. We don't really have to go looking for God. Um, God chose to be present in the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud at the crossing of the Red Sea. God chose to be present with those people and to indicate that with the Ark of the Covenant. God chose to come down, Jesus as God, to be with us, Emmanuel, God with us. And then, of course, who is the presence of God now? The Holy Spirit. God has taken the initiative to be present with us and to be there. Now, it's interesting, um, the Holy Spirit the Ark of the Covenant in this story, the pillar of cloud and fire, what attributes do those people slash things have? Besides being the presence of God. I would submit that there are all ways that God chose to guide it How did the people of Israel know where to go? Well, follow the pillar of cloud and fire. How did they know where to go? Because he said, you've not been this way before. Follow the ark. How many of us have been this way before? Every day is new, right? We've never been this way. I remember I was around 40 and I, I think I, I told Daddy, I said, you know, I thought when I got to be 40, I would, like, be a lot smarter. <laughs> you know? And he, in effect, said something to the effect, no, I've just been making it up as I go, too. You know, and then I, that was the little secret, you know, that you, you, you're always doing that. <laughs> you know, you never, I assume, I don't know, have you figured it out yet? No, no? okay, just, thanks. Yeah, just... <laughs> Um, years, I was really hoping you know I 'd get there, but, um, but we 've never weighed before either, right? So we have to depend on the Holy Spirit too, lest we wander around in the wilderness. In addition to all three being a guide, they were all um, you might say, protection. And that leads me to my, my next point is that God is between us and our enemies. God is between us and our enemies. I thought it was really interesting when I went back and read about where the pillar of cloud and fire, where God was positioned then. <clears throat> Do you know where he was positioned? Between the Israelites and exactly. So you've got river, people, God, and the enemy. But look at today's lesson. We've got people, river, God in the middle, and then the enemy. God is between us and our enemies. I think we need to continue to remember that, that when we do feel like we have an enemy, which we do, of course, um, God's between us. We're not by ourselves in that. The Holy Spirit is there with us and is as powerful now as he was back then Um, i think that's a pretty cool thing to to see and then the final thing as i look back um, on this is is the point that if you really want to obey and follow god it takes some prep work um for the first uh, 28 or so years of our marriage, um, uh, we didn't know what a cruise was. Um, we have since tried to make up for that. Um, uh, but uh, Merritt signed us up for a cruise a couple years ago and it was down in Fort Lauderdale, those of you that have been down there to, to that particular port, which is a long drive from here. you know. And it, so I said, look, we're, we're gonna drive um, I think we stayed at Vero Beach. It was like two hours away. You know. So you drive the first nine hours, spend a night, and then you go. And that's really good because that gives you a chance to go to Walmart one more time in Vero <laughs> Beach to get the thing that you should have already gotten. Um, you haven't left yet, but you're really getting ready to leave. You theoretically have everything with you, We've since learned, by the way, that there's actually a Walgreens right next to the ship that for the really, really last minute's time. Um, but it's so much easier to leave once you've already left. Does that make sense? Once you've already got it together and then gone most of the way, it's much easier. So I think it was interesting, you know, they had been camped out over here. They could have made that all in one walk the ark gave them half a mile head start anyway. But they had to all, they, they left one last time and camped right next to it. So I think sometimes, as we think about obeying God, are we really in the position of being ready to obey him? This is very practical. They've said that probably the number one reason why it's hard for some missionaries starting out is because of college debt that's school loans they can't be missionaries they got to pay off school loans they're not really ready to follow you know we may have our own encumbrances that we're not really really ready to follow because we're too mired up in the day to day so one is getting ready to obey and follow takes some prep work The second thing is in addition to being physically ready we need to be spiritually ready. Because what did they tell them to do? You've got to consecrate yourself. Even though we're all about grace, right? Salvation has nothing to do with us. God, God calls us. He gives us the faith to even accept Him. But God continues to say, I'm holy. Even in the New Testament, be holy, for I am holy. You know, so if there are physical things that are maybe got us ensnared, there may be also spiritual things that have us ensnared. It may not be, you know, something that's obvious from this story, but I mean it could be that you're just bitter against somebody. It could be unforgiveness. It could be some sin that you don't want to let go of, but that may be keeping you from, you know, this little promised land that, that, that may be God's next best for you. Ark, think about it. The ark was going to be in the middle of the river, and they had to pass by. That's right. So, uh, God, until you did uh, ceremonies, sacrifications, uh, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah that before they can pass by the ark yeah. and I think that's a great point Mike and that's a good, good probably place to, to end this because the ark represented the presence of God it also represented the righteousness of God it wasn't in plain view all the time it represented the judgment of God um, sometimes when, when uh, Moses had to adjudicate uh, it was in the presence of the ark but it also represented the mercy of God because that area on top of the ark was the mercy seat, right? That's where the blood was sprinkled for the forgiveness of sin. And you're right, Mike, they passed right by that and all of that, God's righteousness and his mercy right by him. And I think that's, uh, that's always a good story. So um, where's Jesus? He's all in here. And uh, we just need to find it. So any other comments? all right let's pray father we thank you that you continue to be present with us that you continue to want to lead us Um, i pray that you'd let us shut up shut off um, our encumbrances and that you would get us ready to follow Um, we thank you that you are a god that keeps your promises and that we can put our full trust in you in jesus name amen thanks everybody what is that? <laughs>